Well, let's pray a little bit more. Lord, I do thank you for your word. I pray that you will speak to us today through it. I pray that you'll help us to put it into practice. Lord, we want to serve you, honor you, glorify you. And we just invite you here today. Speak to us. Speak through me, through your word, in Jesus' name. Well, early in the 1980s, uh, one of our elders, Jack Oliphant, and I and a few other folks went out to Boston. There was a Billy Graham crusade going on, and we went out to hear Billy Graham, and it was a wonderful experience. Um, and while we were there, he had a meeting with just pastors, and so I went to that meeting, and he challenged us to have an associate of his come and do a crusade in our area, our community. So I went home, I prayed about that, and I thought, yeah, we should do that. And so I got together and we organized. There were about 40 churches in the area who got involved in that. And uh, we invited John Wesley White, one of Billy Graham's associates, to come. We held the crusade. We wanted, we wanted to have it at Crane Music Hall, but Crane wouldn't let us. And we ended <laughs> at the uh, St. Lawrence University with the Unitarians. <laughs> they let us use it there. And uh, we had a number of, we had a week's worth of meetings. One of the meetings, I think we reached 1,000 people that came out. And just John Wesley White was so impressed with the number of people who came to Christ at those meetings he said, I'm going back and tell Billy Graham he needs to come to New York State. And so a few years later, Billy Graham came through and hit Buffalo and Rochester and Syracuse and Albany and had crusades, and they, they had tremendous results. And there were hundreds of people there who came to Christ. And that was because people in the North Country responded when we had a crusade up here. But I, as, as I was preparing for that crusade, I... I tried to do a statistical analysis of how many people were born again, saved people in the North Country. And I worked out the best statistics I could on that. And then I also compared that with the number of known Christians in the Soviet Union, in Russia. And guess what? They had more per thousand capita than we had here in St. Lawrence County. There is still a lot of people came to the Lord at the crusade. Many people have come to the Lord in the meantime, but there's still a big need in the North Country for people to come to Christ, a big need. And I want to talk about that a little bit today. Our scripture is Luke chapter 15, where Jesus addresses God's attitude toward reaching the lost. And let's begin with the first two verses here in John 15. We can have those on the screen. Yes. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. But we'll, we'll get to the parable. Well, okay. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. 
And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Jesus, when the Pharisees were shocked that Jesus was eating with sinners, they were probably thinking of Psalm 1 verse 1, taking it out of context. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now that's a beautiful psalm and a very true passage. Except there's a difference between walking in the counsel of the wicked and walking beside the wicked. And there's a difference between standing in the way of sinners and interacting with sinners, but not standing in their way, you know, standing beside them and what they stand for, and not sitting in the seat of scoffers, not sitting with scoffers and scoffing with them, but connecting with scoffers, connecting with people who are sinners. And Jesus was eating with sinners and even with tax collectors. It's getting time to figure out your taxes, right? <clears throat> but Jesus would, would connect with people that were out of God's will. Tax collectors back at that time were different than tax collectors today, by the way, just to let you know. But Jesus connected with these people. He ate with them. He talked with them. And they left their sin and came to Jesus. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants us not just to be a club of holy rollers, but people who permeate the world around us, who relate to them, who love them, reach out to them, minister to them, and they'll respond to us and to God. And that's what he wants. He gives the illustration of the lost sheep first. He uses three parables. The first is the lost sheep. And this lost sheep had strayed away from the flock, and got in trouble. His life was in danger, and he had lost contact with the other sheep. But the shepherd considered them valuable, and he left the 90 and 9 sheep, and he didn't just leave them alone. There, when shepherds went out in those days, there were a number of shepherds who went and took care of the sheep. So he let the other shepherds take care of them, and he went out and looked until he found that sheep, brought it back. Jesus wants us to be rescuers here in the North Country. There are lost sheep living next to us, related to us, working with us, and he wants us to reach them. And when that shepherd brought back the sheep, the other shepherds rejoiced with him. And when we bring people to Christ, all heaven rejoices, brings great joy to the Father. Second parable is about a widow, and that starts in verse 8. Or... What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, 
there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner repents. Now, it was common for women back in those days um, to have 10 coins in a hairdress that they had. They'd wear something on top of their head that had the 10 coins in it. And probably she lost one of those coins. And uh, it was probably all that that lady had. And so it was very valuable. A coin, one of the coins that she lost, was worth about a day's wages. Whatever they made back then would be whatever we make today in a day, uh, which is a lot more than what they made. So it was a significant amount of money. It was one just she lost a nickel or something. She lost a significant amount of money. And uh, she hunted for it desperately. And their cottages were very modest, and they often had a lot of... Uh, basically straw on the floor. <laughs> and so she's going through all this straw on the floor looking for the coin. And she found it and called her neighbors and they rejoiced with her. And Jesus again was contrasting the fact that here was a woman looking for something that was valuable that she lost and her neighbors all rejoiced with her and the Pharisees were not rejoicing with Jesus as he was looking for the lost. Oh, my goodness, what are you doing? In that dirty cottage, God cares for the lost. And he sifts through the dust to find us and bring us to himself. The third parable is about a lost son, starting in verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country and there squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the fig pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let, it, let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older brother was in the field and when he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and dancing. 
And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said, well, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received them back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But that son of yours who has devoured your property with prostitutes and you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and found. What a beautiful contrast there. What a sad contrast to the son really messed up his life, really wasted a lot, really did a lot of foolish, stupid stuff, but he had repentance. And he came back and said, I just want to be like one of your hired servants. Give me a job, please. He had been off feeding pigs. That would have been an abomination to the people who were listening to Jesus because the Jews weren't allowed to eat pigs or they didn't have pigs. I don't know. I like sausage anymore. I'm under grace, not the law, though I may face consequences. I don't know. (laughs) The son was full of repentance, and he realized that his father was a father of love and that he could come back to his father and look to him for help. And there was tenderness and love and celebration from that father. He wanted to welcome him back, not as a servant, but as a son. And he killed the fatted calf, and he threw a big party. That's what our Heavenly Father is like. When we repent, when we turn to the Lord, he's filled with joy. He doesn't focus on all the stupid stuff we've done. He offers us forgiveness and transformation. The brother, the older son, was self-centered. He was filled with bitterness, resentment, jealousy, and unforgiveness to that other son. When we see sinners repent, including those who have sinned against us, we need to forgive. God forgives them. We need to forgive them. We need to welcome them in. I've seen in my life many people. I remember my college days, my freshman year, I lived in an overflow housing unit. And uh, there was, (laughs) boy, what a crew. (laughs) They were all the ones who applied late to college, you know, and just barely got in. They dumped us in an old fraternity house that had been condemned but they opened it back up for us. And uh, you know what? In the midst of all those rebellious, sinful guys, they had one born-again Christian, me. Um, And they put up with me. But more than that, they saw something in me. We ended up with some of those people becoming converted. One of them became president of our IV group. God can use me, and God can use you. 
but you need to go out and mix with some people lost. Amen? <laughs> yeah. Are you among those who are forgiven? If so, then God wants you to seek the lost. Bring them to Jesus. Surround them with his joy. Make connections with, with unbelievers, non-Christians. Build some relationships. Earn their trust and respect. They aren't going to trust God if they can't trust you. Um, a lot of non-Christians are people who have seen hypocrisy in churches. And they're turned off by church. And what they need to see is somebody that they can trust and respect, that loves and cares for them, that's a Christian. They aren't going to start by going to church. They're going to start by feeling your love. You need to sow seeds of the gospel. You need to give testimonies. Hey, you know what God did for me today? Hey, God answered this prayer for me. You don't start by preaching to them. You start by living before them and testifying to them and showing them your love for them, your appreciation for them, and demonstrating your faith and then sharing your faith, asking them, hey, is there anything I can pray for you about? You have some problems and needs in your life? I love you. I want to help you. I want to pray for you. God loves you too. What, what's your need? And when the time comes, invite them to church. Invite them to come with you. Maybe even invite them to a home group. Yeah. And by the way, even if they don't come, you could still come. The North Country's full of lost people. And you know some of them. They're all over the campuses. Amen? <laughs> and God wants to use you. He wants to speak through you. He wants to share the gospel through, through your words, but also through your life. God wants to grow this church in numbers, not just by going getting people from other churches, but by getting people that don't go to church at all, people that are sleeping in Sunday morning because they spent Saturday night at the bar. He wants you to reach them. Will you do that? I believe there are a lot of people out there where God's spirit is already working. They just need someone to reach out. Who are they? I'd like us to take a minute and just pray. Ask God to show you if there's people he wants you to reach out to, who they are. Lord, show us where you're working. Show us who we can reach out to. Show us people who need your love. Empower us and guide us. Work in their hearts to be receptive. Grant us fruitfulness, Lord. Help us to be like you were, having food and fellowship with the really messed up people in the world without compromising our own faith, living in their standards, and holding forth the love and the grace and the truth of Jesus Christ. Lord, use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like the worship team to come down, and I'd like my wife to come down and to share a poem that she wrote. Um, in Jesus' time, there are people that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and important so-called people avoided. And one of the main people they avoided were the lepers. 
and they were like untouchables, and you didn't associate with him. And so in this poem, I'm using leper as a symbolic term. You have to think about who it is that you, unclean, unclean, the leper said. All those around him turned and fled, except for Jesus, who in love reached out and touched with hand on glove his oozing ulcerated at once. What message will we, our church convey to wounded lepers of our day? In sterile armchair, we can sit safe from violence, germs, and spit. Yes, we can choose to turn away, nail reputation to the cross, with tenderness embrace the loss. Holy Spirit, work within us till only in the blood we trust, till healing grace dissolves our shame and we give up deceitful gain. Fill our rejecting hearts with love. Convict us, almost gentle dove, of pride and fear that still remain. And for yourself our minds reclaim. Anoint our eyes to see with yours the worth beneath the leper's sores. <laughs>